colleagues, Anthony McKay, uh, CEO and President of the National Centre on Education and the Economy, welcoming you to one of our global education talks, and this time, the second in the 2020 series, but not quite the same place from which we have had our conversations over the last year or so. Uh, because of the current circumstances, I'm being joined online by Andreas Schleicher. Andreas, welcome. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for hosting. Thank you very much for being part of our Global Ed Talk series. And of course, people know you uh, in your role as uh, Director of Education and Skills uh, for OECD and of course, Special Advisor to the Secretary General on Education. Uh, these are strange times, but what a perfect moment to have a conversation with you about how we are experiencing education and learning at the time of the coronavirus. So um, thank you so much for making this time. And I want to ask you at the outset, if you could comment on what clearly is a very disruptive moment. Uh, we might've been having this conversation as we had planned uh, to think about the nature of the future of learning and the future of work, particularly in an AI world. And I'm gonna to return to that. But let me just connect with exactly where everybody who will be listening to this or viewing this is currently situated. We are in the middle of a huge disruption to every part of our lives and education is very much part of this disruption. How would you characterize the way in which at the moment across OECD countries and more globally, this is being experienced. How would you capture this moment? Well, the most obvious effect is that 1.5 billion young people are on the street, have been put out of school. Home learning has become kind of compulsory uh, for the vast majority of young people around the world. Uh, remote learning that used to be a nice to have extra is become the lifeline for education and it's liberating and exciting for those who are well prepared, who have the learning strategies, the motivations to keep learning on their own, who have the parental support, access to technology, but it's a huge challenge for those for whom school hasn't been much fun before, who, have, who don't have you know the resources the you know support the social support um i think that's basically so we are going to see a large exasperation of inequalities in education social inequality coming out of this i think those effects are fairly real how it's going to impact learning itself i think it's too early to say but i think um digital resources are uh, replacing some of the educational functions of schools, but uh, they don't replace the social function of schools. In fact, the kind of relational role that teachers have is becoming even more important in this moment of crisis all around the world. Have you, would you have anticipated the nature of the response? As you say, people thrust into a digital environment where those resources exist, uh, where uh, the teaching profession uh, has been uh, cast alongside health workers as front line in the response. There's a real sense in which the value of the profession has been highlighted and the way in which the professions attempt, attempted to respond. And then allied professionals coming in and supporting the kind of learning that we 
are at least seen in many jurisdictions online in distance learning. And yet, as you say, this actually throws up in sharp relief already existing inequities. And yet again, there are others that are moving into the space, not-for-profits, education technology, a whole range of others coming in to this space in order to make a contribution. On balance, do you see this as uh, a positive sign uh, in the sense that it does put a focus upon the importance of education? I agree with you about the social dimension, but the commitment that people are making to continue to invest in learning in whatever place and form they can, is this an encouraging sign for you? Yeah, you know, I would sort of maybe differentiate between the individual and the system levels here. At individual levels, it's been simply amazing how much initiative there has been out there. You know, you find, you know, digital resources becoming, you know, abundantly available, being, you know, shared, distributed, scaled. Uh, you have teachers who take on incredible responsibilities well beyond their portfolio, who are becoming not only, you know, great teachers or agro teachers, but who also, you know, work as coaches, as mentors, as facilitators, as designers of innovative learning environments, you know, getting quickly up to speed with new technologies. A lot of this is happening. In a way, I think what this crisis does, it liberates the innovative potential that is dormant in many schools and in many parts of our education systems. When I look at systemic responses, I am not more, I'm a bit more skeptical. You do have a few countries that have, you know, taken on that challenge, you know, within a month, China put uh, 50 million learners online, uh, well yeah. supported. Uh, I mean, that's an incredible systemic response, making education a priority. You know, when money was short, you know, they got rid of all red tape for schools to procure devices for every learner and so on. But uh, we, I haven't seen actually very much of this, you know, think of the most elementary questions. When you suddenly end up with a lot less curriculum time, you know, giving your schools and teachers clearer guidance on you, what should you focus on? Is it about, you know, preparing for exams or is it about, you know, focus on the social emotional skills of student well-being that now matters more than ever? Uh, I think very little has come from this, you know, very little in terms of curriculum guidance. Uh, uh, the kind of how do you support your teachers to build so I think actually education systems have, have actually struggled despite the in uh, the potential for innovation that we can see and we see multiple reports taking place globally uh, about hybrid learning about online digital learning about pedagogies that will enhance deep learning and yet those that will remain superficial I mean, so there's a huge amount of commentary going on, but let me, uh, rather than actually explore that, let me take you to a second question here. Prior to the coronavirus, we're not saying there wasn't a case for change in the way in which we go about the learning business. We had, we had, we've had calls year after year. The, the case for change for shifting our learning system in a whole range of ways of redesigning our learning environments, of thinking about more powerful pedagogies to get deep learning, all of the work that OECD has been doing in terms of the 2030 work, that's been part of our current situation. So the question is, out of the disruption, will we see an acceleration of the forces that were already in play? In other words, will it actually add to the reimagining, to use that language, or the remaking of our learning systems to be far more powerful, far more productive? Uh, let me leave aside at the moment the AI world 
and ask the question whether or not this crisis will turn out to be a really powerful driver and force, a compelling case for change, even more compelling than other forces that we have been constantly referring to over the last decade. Yeah, you know, I think we need to accept and realize that education is a very conservative social enterprise, you know, and uh, if we're honest, you know, we as parents are often more part of the problem than part of the solution. You know, we get very anxious when our children no longer learn what was very important for us when we were young, or when they do learn things that we no longer understand. Teachers are more comfortable to teach how they were taught than how they were taught to teach. And, you know, realistically, as a policymaker, you can lose an election over education, but you will not win an election over education simply because it takes so much time to translate you know, good ideas into better outcomes. So I think those forces are real. You know, on the one hand, we expect our teachers to innovate. On the other hand, we say, well, make my child, you know, get to Harvard, you know, teach it in the most kind of traditional way. So I think actually there are, it's a difficult environment. At the very same time, you know, what I expect and what, the, what makes this crisis different from other forces, that it has created the opportunity for innovation for so many people at the very same time. Innovation is no longer happening, you know, in very isolated places, but it's happening in lots of places. I expect that you will have lots of young people who suddenly have discovered, you know, project-based learning at home or self-directed learning, getting to solve problems that are really interesting to solve. And they're gonna go knock on the doors of, and get back to their teachers and say, hey, can't we do that in the classroom? And you're gonna see lots of teachers, you know, suddenly, you know, have become creative designers of the most innovative learning environments who have, you know, started to work with their colleagues to discover new practices and actually frame new instructional environments. They're gonna get back to the school directors and say, well, actually we can do this differently. And you will see school principals, you know, who no longer see the four walls of their, you know, building, but who actually have studied and worked with other principals to solve systemic problems. And they're gonna actually take a bigger role in this system. So I think that is the difference. I think we will actually have the innovative capacity that was already in the system, better connected, better integrated. And we hopefully will have more demanding young people, people who have experienced, you know, at least a critical mass of people who have experienced a different form of learning. So what I expect from, for example, from this is that home learning will stay an important part of learning, self-directed learning, project-based. You know, we have flipped classrooms. That is, you know, probably going to be the norm of yes. rather than the exception after this crisis. So yeah, I'm hopeful, but uh, again, you know, we should not, uh, you know, undercount the very conservative environment in which education systems operate. And yet, just on that very point, the game changers here could very much be young people themselves, harnessing technology, supported by a profession that thinks differently about their relationship with learners and differently about their relationship with each other. As you pointed out, this requires much greater levels of cooperation. You've argued long and hard for a, a, a profession that needs to be far more collaborative, that a profession that actually needs to take greater decision-making power within, as you've often argued, I think, more hospitable learning environments, working conditions that are much more of a kind that enhance the role of the learner, harness the power of technology, use a more diversified profession. I mean, if you bring those forces together, 
that actually could be a serious leap forward? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think you're going to see a shift from teaching to learning. You're going to see more agency on the part of learners. You're going to see more co-created learning environments where students are active parts of the design process. And I think actually, uh, and hopefully, you know, when if the kind of technologies that we are seeing emerging uh, become real for a large number of teachers, uh, teachers can focus a lot more on the parts that are really interesting. You know, uh, teaching, if you ask teachers why they became teachers, in our Talis study, most teachers say, well, I want to make a difference to the lives of people. I want to actually, you know, make a contribution to society and not, you know, uh, do teach very kind of boring school material. I think there will be more room and space for teachers to, to live that dream. And I think learning could become a lot more interesting when students take a lot more ownership for their own you know, learning goals to monitor their progress and actually uh, design, you know, the instructional environment. Well, let me take you then to what would have been without the coronavirus, uh, the main focus of this conversation. And we would have been talking about education and learning in an AI world. Uh, we are uh, jointly engaged in a major project at the moment, OECD and NCE, on high-performing systems for tomorrow. And we've been obviously anticipating not simply the emergence of an AI world, the existence of an AI world. And the question about educating for that is a, a, a major focus that a, a number of our education systems are grappling with. So say a word about the extent to which now, as we come off the back of the current crisis and we are entering into an environment where we are living and learning and working in an AI world, but we're also learning for an AI world. And that actually brings into sharp relief, not just the future of learning, but the future of work. So as you think about the way in which our learning systems need to be redesigned to be adequate to that future, a future where in fact we want to be human centered, how would you identify some of the crucial features that we should be thinking about right now in order to design for that kind of sustainable future that has just been brought into sharp relief by the current crisis. Yeah, and no, I think there are two aspects to this. One is to learn for a world of artificial intelligence, and the other is to use artificial intelligence for learning. And I think they're both part of that kind of set of problems. Uh, on the first part, I think we just have to be cognizant that the kind of things that are easy to teach easy to test the reproduction of subject matter content is now easy to digitize to automate outsourcing uh, the industrial age taught us how to educate second class robots people are good at repeating what we tell them in the world of ai where ai is so much better on all of those fronts uh, the question of what makes us human is becoming much more urgent and much more real how do we complement not substitute the artificial intelligence that we've created in our computers now the capacity of people to imagine to create to build something of intrinsic positive worth the capacity of people to navigate ambiguity to manage complexity to you know extrapolate from what we know uh, all those things that artificial intelligence so far has great difficulties with the capacity of people to make a judgment Artificial intelligence is a great amplifier, a great accelerator, but it amplifies good ideas and good practice in the same way as it 
amplifies bad ideas and bad crises. The damage you can make today is so much greater than the damage you could do in, you know, in a, uh, decades ago. Uh, because technology will empower you know people to be so much more influential and i think again making judgment uh, values will become front and center of the education systems not you know sprinkled on on the margins i think those are questions that are real so artificial intelligence pushes us to think much harder what makes us human what is the balance between cognitive social and emotional kind of skills and then you know that raises the question what kind of learning environments do we need to develop those kinds of knowledge skills attitudes and values and what kind of people do we need to become designers of those learning environments how will this shift you know the role of learners and the role of teachers and then you know what kind of systems do you put around those people to support them to do that work in a kind of uh, novel environment i think this is the question that artificial intelligence and the future of work in general will raise. Now, we used to learn to do the work. Now, that was the pre-artificial world. Today, learning is the work. Now, that's basically what is so new in this, that every day we have to grow out of ourselves, to be comfortable in new environments that actually <clears throat> everything that, you know, I have learned and that I can do and that I can put into a, the form of an algorithm, you know, the machine is going to do from tomorrow on so that means i have to move on to the next question to the next set of challenges and i think that puts us under very very uh, severe kind of demands so that's the first part of the question i think the second part is also important how can we use ai more productively to support 21st century learning you know in a way yes the kind of industrial model of education uh, teaches everybody in the same way we have, you know, like in, you know, in a, in a big kind of industry, it's a very mechanical kind of process. In the AI world, we can much better understand how different students learn differently in real time. And we can use that knowledge to feed into better learning and teaching processes. Now, you can use artificial intelligence, you know, uh, to understand how people learn differently and to actually give people that information, what kind of problems are you good at, not so good at, uh, what do you like, uh, what you are comfortable with, what do you have problems with. And again, you know, I think teachers and learners can use that information in real time to enhance uh, a learning process. In a way, we could do what medicine started to do 150 years ago. You know, again, also, you know, in the, in the ancient history of medicine, they would give you any medicine for any disease. You know, they didn't have now they can actually tailor the cure very much to your needs. And I think that's something that artificial intelligence should enable us to do better in education. Hugely empowering tool if used well. You know, you could also see, of course, you know, as always, you could see the opposite as well, that, you know, artificial intelligence will make education more scripted, more routine, degrade the role of teachers. Uh, I think that's a risk as well, but I can see the potential being very significant. Well, let me just finish with this, Andreas, because it, I'm reminded in the 2030 work, the framework, the OECD framework, that's been developed jointly by multiple jurisdictions over the last couple of years, that we've elevated the importance of young people. This is the, the outcomes of a successful learning system, taking responsibility, having the capacity to resolve conflicts and tensions, adding public value. I want to come to that question about therefore a system of learning that will promote those kind of competencies and attributes 
that will therefore ensure that we do have a sustainable future. Yep. So what is your view about the systemness here? Because I hear a lot of conversation just in the last few days about the supply and demand side of education. People are talking about the fact that learning is everybody's business. They are saying what we need much more is a learning ecosystem. And yet the question then becomes, is it a learning ecosystem that is for the public good? The question about equity becomes front and center. If we're arguing we want to educate all young people for a highly productive and satisfying future, and that work will be changing, but work and identity will still be central parts of the way in which we think about success. What's your view about the nature of this emerging learning system? What are a couple of the design features that you'd say, we must have these if we are going to be able to ensure that we've got a successful learning system for all? Yeah, you know, I think the question of, of systems is the most vital questions in all of this. I mean, what we can see clearly is that, you know, having uh, 10,000 isolated schools doesn't make a good education systems. And that we, if, you know, put great teachers into the four walls of a classroom may benefit a few students, but they will not, you know, have a systemic impact, you know, on the future of the profession or even on the wider student population. Uh, systems have to address many issues. First of all, you know, it, that is where the questions around curriculum design need to be addressed. This is not something that we can just, you know, leave out to the market, you know, demand and supply or to individual teachers. I think those questions need to be resolved. Uh, this is, as a society, we need to ask ourselves, you know, what do we value? How do we develop uh, the environments? for those things to have. How do we attract the most talented teachers into the most challenging environments? How do we match resources with needs so that every student benefits from excellent teaching? I think those are the big systemic questions, but I would really think the question of curriculum design implementation is the heart of any education system. I, I think, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about the how in education. We spend very little time still on the what of education in the world in which we live today, in the world in which we live tomorrow, what are the knowledge, skills, attitudes and values that we need to really foster? I think that's the question where, you know, and, and when I talk about the system, I don't mean you know, the government bureaucracy. I mean all the stakeholders who do play a role. Yes. In it. That's where the ecosystem really comes from. Yes. Andreas, thank you. Um, so many people have commented on this moment that many of these issues are being brought into sharper relief because of the circumstances of the current crisis. And therefore, they are taking this as an opportunity to shift the discourse and to accelerate the shift to a more productive learning system for all young people. In that sense, it's a very desirable conversation that we're having. And thank you so much for being able to stimulate precisely that conversation with us today. Andreas Schleicher, thank you very much. Thanks, Tony. Always a pleasure to work with you.